Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Azagari. And today we will be talking about Francois Truffaut's Day for Night from 1973. Very, very good film. Both our first time watching it, and we're very excited to break the film down, break down a little bit of Francois Truffaut's uh, career, maybe talk about Jean-Luc Godard for a minute. Uh, we'll see what we get into. Uh, Day for Night was uh, it won best best foreign language film at the 46th Academy Awards, and then because the Oscars are weird as shit, it was nominated again the following year at the 47th Academy Awards for best director, best original screenplay, and best actress in a supporting role. So, this is kind of a heavy hitter when it comes to foreign language films and the Oscars. It is a must see for cinephiles. Uh, I know we both kind of had it in the back of our minds for a very long time. And it seemed like it was finally a good place to bring it up here. So what are your general thoughts on day for night? Well, I'm not going to lie for quite some time. I was kind of dreading this episode. I was like, Oh God, I'm going back to the French new wave, not my speed, not my cup. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll deal with this. And then uh, I watched the 400 blows for prep. And I was like, okay, Truffaut's got something to say. He's not, the pretentious fuck that Godard is. He's actually trying to make a story. He's trying to relate to the audience. He's trying to make something we can all kind of figure out. I liked that a lot. So after that, I was like, all right, day for night, it's probably going to be something. And I was right. It was something. Uh, It's a movie about filmmaking, which I thought was quite brilliant. We get to see Truffaut at work in a way and dealing with all these kind of personal and professional fires he keeps having to put out on this set. And it's a film you get drawn into. Uh, the characters are vibrant. The score is great. The story is so French. I mean, it's just everyone's fucking everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I don't know what it is, but I could, you can't look away. It's weird. Uh, Truffaut's a filmmaker I'm going to be paying attention to. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about 400 Blows just for a minute, just because. Uh, we both watched that first, uh, like you said, as prep for this episode, just to get some more Truffaut under the belt. Uh, this is, I'll go ahead and say it. This is like one of the top five directorial debuts I've ever seen in my life. The 400 Blows. It is, it, I mean, it's up there with, you know, like personal favorites like Reservoir Dogs for, for Quentin Tarantino. It's up there with uh blood simple for the cohen brothers you know it's just it's just rock solid right away and it's it's the kind of film that you have these expectations because of the time it comes out 1959 uh from what i've read from what i've learned over the past week or so uh french new wave you know people want to think it lasted for like a decade really you know, according to film historians and scholars, they say, no, really, it was much shorter. It was a much shorter window when the French New Wave really existed and was thriving and people were on the same page. And it's somewhere 1958 to 1963 is more what, what, what these people have gathered after doing their research. And The 400 Blows is one of those ones that 
quite frankly, like just blows everything open. And it combines ex- experimentation and new kinds of editing. And I mean, that last shot, <laughs> that last shot of Antoine where it, it freezes, you know, this is stuff that had never been seen before and in, in cinema and like little touches, but it also has this incredibly easy to follow, very relatable story about growing up, about, about feeling uncared for, feeling unloved, feeling lost in your place in society. And so you just do things. And as, as you know, <laughs> as the film went along, I just kept, I kept kind of smiling like, wow, I'm watching, I'm watching a masterpiece here. I love the 400 blows. So it was very easy for me to turn on day for night for the first time and be, be ready and excited to watch it. It's on Criterion channel right now. Uh, as, as, as is a lot of uh, Truffaut's work, a lot of his work is also on HBO max. Uh, I know most people have, have HBO max, you know, that's where the 400 blows is. That's where a lot of his, a lot of his work uh, kind of lies and, and can be seen. Uh, I bought it because I heard great things about it. I bought it on Criterion like maybe a year ago. Uh, and I just had it on my shelf, you know, and I was waiting, I was waiting to do it here on this, on this show. And I'm very excited to talk about it because I loved it. I also couldn't take my eyes off of it. It is, I, I, like you said, a film about films, about filmmaking, you know, it, uh, it reminds you of, you know, films like Contempt, John Luc Godard and Eight and a Half by Fred, Federico Fellini, where, everything takes place on the set and in the process of making the film and for day for night is easily the most enjoyable one of those easily the most entertaining one of those, the funniest. And there's something to say about that. I don't know if it's my favorite film about filmmaking, but it's up there. It's right up there. It reminded me so much of something like boogie nights where everything's just, just clicking and happening and you can't, it's a little bit dirty. It's a little bit crude and, you can't take your eyes away because everything that all the dialogue, all the characters are so good. And this movie's awesome. Really excited to talk about it, man. It's going to be cool. Uh, it creates, uh, it's one of those, those open door kind of, kind of films where once you see it, uh, you're either going to close that door and say, fuck it, I'm good. Or the door's open now. And your, your, your mind is now going to go to a million different places, whether that be Truffaut's work, or other directors from the French New Wave, or reading about Francois Truffaut, uh, Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard's friendship to rivalry to them just not speaking to one another. All of those things happen because of Day for Night. You know, Jean-Luc Godard, when he saw it you know, uh, premiere, he walked out of the screening in disgust because he was like, this is not how films are made. This is not the way it is. And, he's, and, and Truffaut's a liar. It's, it's crazy, you know? This would be like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson just all of a sudden being like, fuck you, you know? And sending letters back and forth to one another and just despising each other's work. That would be incredible, right? That would be crazy. And I, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by all things that surround Day for Night. And I feel uh, I'm always excited to do, the, to do this show, but there's extra incentive here. Uh, this, is, this is really important. I think most of the films we've covered are, are must see and are important films, but this is kind of in a different place. Fucking arrogance of Godard to be like, yeah, that's not how you make a movie. God damn it. Like to say that to a friend, be like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're doing it wrong. See shit yeah. like that is why I don't like him. 
It's why I don't like filmmakers like that. I find their work contemptible. I find it pretentious. I find it hard to get into. And then when they speak, they sound like, you know, God's atop a mountain telling mankind they can't have fire. It's, it's insulting. <laughs> but Truffaut bridged that gap. He's a filmmaker who embraces the same style as these guys, but with his feet on the ground. And I like that. I, I, can, I can relate to these films. I can relate to being a kid and feeling at times that no one's listening to me. No one cares what I yeah. think. I can relate to that. I can relate to, you know, falling in love and then losing that love and then kind of just like doing whatever the hell I can to try to get that back. It's, it's relatable shit. And I, I appreciated that. Like you said, you know, yeah. I had this door closed for so long and now, you know what? It's cracked open a bit. And I never thought that was possible. So good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky, lucky pick, honestly. Cause I, I, I had no idea, you know, I had no idea what we were exactly getting into here. And I was up so late last night, just reading and watching what criterion God bless has all these amazing tidbits about Truffaut and Godard and these, these, these pillars of the new wave, you know, that were just completely bored and tired of Hollywood and what they were doing over and over and over. And they were like, well, let's, let's, let's fucking change the game. Whether that's, you know, something people are a fan of or not, it's, it's admirable because, because changes, changes is inevitable and it's, it's necessary at times. And especially with art. And I see, especially with Truffaut, especially with the 400 blows, I see my favorite filmmakers in that movie. You know, I see, and, and with Day for Night, I see Truffaut shouting out his favorite filmmakers. Some of them, some of them filmmakers that we've talked about on this show, you know, uh, very, very, very cool to kind of be a part of that, that world. It really is a movie for movie lovers, Day for Night. Uh, let's, let, let's talk about, talk about 400 Blows more, more at length here. Let's, let's give that movie some respect and, and kind of talk about, you know, why, why, why we loved it so much. Because Truffaut himself uh, is nominated three times by the Academy. And the 400 Blows would be the one that kind of op- opened that door for him. Uh, in 1959, he was he was nominated for best screenplay, best original screenplay, uh, and then he was nominated for day for night screenplay and best director. So, and of course, it won best foreign language film. But himself, he's got the three nominations. Uh, he passed away in his 50s. You just wonder what else would have happened. You know, had he had he been able to stay with us, he, he died in the 80s. Uh, he made films all the way up until then. So, so four, 400 blows. I mean, this is this is easily one of the best fifties movies I've ever seen. And then it goes past that where I'm like, Oh my God, this is just straight up legendary stuff. Like I, I almost gave it a 10 out of 10 right out, right out the gate. It's, it's a, it's a solid nine for me. I also didn't know until after watching it and doing some research about it, that it's uh, the first of five films involving Antoine, the main character. And so I went ahead and watched the second one as well, which is a 30 minute short uh, called, called Antoine and Colette from 1962. Really good. It's just, again, just 30 minutes, really easy. It's on criterion right now. Um, and I'm going to continue that. I'm going to go ahead and I guess we'll call it a franchise. I don't fucking know the Antoine, the Antoine, you know, uh, <laughs> franchise. I'm going to keep watching it because this guy, Jean-Pierre, Le- I don't know how to say his last name. Laod. 
I guess. I'm not really Layout, sure. I think maybe. Layout. Yeah. yeah. He he's in a ton of Truffaut movies, and of course he's in all five of these movies uh that involve the character of Antoine. And he's so goddamn good. This in 400 Blows, I was like, this is one of the best child performances I've ever seen. <laughs> it's remarkable. It's uh especially the scenes uh towards the end when he's in therapy, which blew me away, especially when I found out they were largely improvised by this kid. Yeah. Uh, that's insane. That's very that's talent, raw talent that Truffaut was able to kind of, you know, mold. Um yeah, I loved the scenes with him and his friend just kind of doing shit on the streets, skipping school and everything, just biting him in the ass. Every adult he came into contact with was a piece of shit with an agenda who hated him for no real reason beyond he's kind of annoying. Like he's a kid. He's like eight years old. Eight year old kids are all annoying. You got to know how to talk, how to deal with them, how to talk to them. And it just I felt bad for the kid, like his mom saying like he he's irritating. Like I don't like him. What the fuck is that? You don't say that about your kid. God. But through this, you just you're engaged because you want to know you kind of want things to work out for this kid. You want him to find something worthwhile in life, something, anything. Uh, and yeah, I, I want to check out the rest of these films. I want to see if he finds something. Honestly, I want I want Anton to be OK. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. And Antoine and Colette, man, is tough. It's tough. It's 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 a. Uh it's a part of an anthology called love at 20 where five different directors directed a short. It's about two hours. Uh, you can piece those together by finding each short or whatever. Uh, I haven't been able to see a version of it. At least that's accessible where you, where you can watch them all in unison. But Truffaut is of course, one of those and his is called Antoine Collette. Uh, and it's about him. He's back back in France and he's working at a uh, record record store which is really cool because he's like printing, making, making actual records. And he, he goes to this, uh, this like music center all the time on the weekends to go see these different shows and whatnot, which is really cool. Cause I, I, I just feel like a lot of relatability to, to Antoine and him just kind of like just fucking around and finding his way. Uh, and it was cool to see his obsession with music. Uh, and then he sees this girl that he's like really obsessed with. And he falls in love with her and she's like, nah, I'm not quite, quite into it, but he keeps trying and keeps trying, you know, it's wild. And her, her parents love him, but he can't quite win the heart of the girl that he's actually trying to chase. It's, it's really good for a 30 minute short. It's really good. Connor, I think he'd love it. Uh, the third one is stolen kisses. Uh, and then there's the fourth one bed and board. And then the fifth one, finally love on the run. Yeah, I'm. I started stolen kisses last night. I, I was like, I need to go to bed though. I, it's time. It's time for me to, to fucking stop because I was up to like 4 a.m. just fucking inhaling as much Truffaut and, and Godard and new wave shit that I possibly could. And so I'm going to probably finish Stolen Kisses after we stop recording. Uh, I was super into it to start. And then I can't wait to watch Bed and Board and Love on the Run. Uh, 400 Blows, it's no surprise that people like Akira Kurosawa, uh, Luis Buñuel, uh, Richard Lester, Richard Linklater, Wes Anderson, Norman Jewison, even fucking Nicolas Cage have cited this movie as one of their favorite movies in existence. Uh, it just makes sense. You know, it's this extremely inspirational and beautiful movie. And uh, Kurosawa, that's, he calls it one of the be- most beautiful movies that I've ever seen in my life. You know, and this is Akira Kurosawa is, you know, he's fucking Akira Kurosawa. Martin Scorsese included it in a list of 
39 essential foreign films that a young fil filmmaker must see. Wow, high praise. Uh, the film was ranked number 29 in Empire Magazine's list of 100 best films of world cinema. That was back in 2010. Uh, in 2018, the film was voted the eighth greatest foreign film language of all time in BBC's poll of 209 critics over 43 countries. Uh, <laughs> this movie's important to a lot of people, and now it's important to us. Doesn't that, that feels good. I know I've, I've equated on, on this show in the past of discovering these films is like putting another piece into this constantly growing puzzle. And I feel like we added a giant piece with, with this film, these, both these films. Yeah. It, it's cleared up some stuff. It's made me kind of think about a lot of other filmmakers in different contexts. And I mean, that's just the best when you can watch a film that kind of reshapes the way you think about other films that that is significant. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge, especially. Um, I, I, I realize there's probably people out there who are like, well, no shit, you know, you're just not getting to it. Well, you know, been watching a lot of other stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's for me and the people that I care about uh, as far as the, you know, my, my friends that are really into film, it's just never too late to watch something and be just captivated by it. And I'm glad I'm here rather than later, of course, but I think it hit me at the right time. You know, I think if I would have seen this at a certain age, I probably wouldn't have gotten it or I wouldn't have appreciated it enough. Uh, I definitely had to get more, more foreign language films under my belt to just kind of, you know, get over that American way of being like, no, I don't want to read subtitles. No, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this extra work to watch a movie. Now at this point in my life, I, then none of that matters to me. You know, a film is a film and it can be taken as is and you're either going to love it, like it, not like it, whatever. You're going to have an opinion. And with the 400 blows, I think I found it for me personally at the right time. Yeah. You know, better late than never. And I mean, like you said, we got a lot of shit to watch. You know, I, I had to watch Showgirls earlier this week. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm what way behind on 2021 releases. I haven't, there's so many I haven't seen and I'm going to have to fucking buckle down at some point and watch all those before before March 27th, before the Oscars, because I want to, I want to, I want to see all those that are nominated and stuff. Uh, I, I've just been busy with my own shit, <laughs> just been trying to watch my own things and, and ha have fun, you know, uh, sue me. I watched the first four screams before the screen came out, you know, fuck it. You know, I, there's, there's just always things I want to do, always things I want to watch. And, uh, and you know me, I, I'm a big sports guy, so I'm, I'm always constantly battling between do I want to watch this, this film or do I want to watch this basketball game or this, this soccer match? I'm always having that battle in my head. Uh, films usually win, but man, I, I love, I love unscripted uh, fucking live, live sports. <laughs> well, this, you know, this puzzle is never going to finish being, I'm never going to finish building this puzzle. This is a constant no. thing in my life. It's a constant process. Every film I watch enhances my thoughts on film itself and gives me a little more to talk about at all times. So whatever the film is, I, I find value in it. Like Truffaut yeah. is just as important to me as Wes Craven. Like it's all, you know, part of the same story. Yeah. This, this, the story of cinema, you know, and it's, it's fun to find those ones that just, just fucking stick out to you. Uh, so cool. I I'm, I'm wicked excited. I'm, I, I've, 
feel like we found uh, a filmmaker and you know it's not it's not like he's being discovered or anything but for you and i in our world and our journey of watching movies we are discovering him we are finding his work finally and seeing it for ourselves and uh so if you had to say which one got you more amped to watch his work would it be 400 blows or day for night it's definitely 400 blows there were i I liked day for night there were some some moments of uh moments that dragged a little bit uh yeah in the middle 400 blows i was engaged pretty much the entire time but um day for night had a lot of great moments and uh so so there's value in that too yeah yeah i agree and i think i think uh my favorite thing about Truffaut so far is his pace is this pace that I feel used to. And because I'm the reason I'm used to it is because a lot of, a lot, again, a lot of filmmakers I like are clearly influenced by, by him and by his work. And then in turn inspired by, you know, Agnes Varda and Jean Renoir and, you know, Orson Welles and so on and so forth. You know, these guys that have this, this understanding of you don't have to treat your audience like an idiot but you also don't need to treat them like they're aliens. You know, you, you, you just, you have to, there's, there's like a middle ground of some sort where you don't have to spell everything out, but you need to tell a real story. Exactly. And that's, I was so grateful for that. A story, an actual like narrative I can enjoy and follow here. Thank you. (laughs) That's like 90% of what I look for. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, let's talk about that. So, so obviously his counterpart, at this point in time in history is, is John luc Godard. Godard was again, very experimental, very, very, um, I'll say very, very prolific came out with so many movies, much more prolific than, than Truffaut was. Uh, and Godard is still kicking it. You know, he's, he's like 90 years old. He's still alive and has, has made movies and shorts in the 2010s. You know, he just can't stop himself from making movies. And I have a lot of respect for that. I've only seen five of his movies. Uh, it took, signing up for the criterion channel to finally kind of take that, take that dive. So about, about little, little under two years ago, I watched uh, breathless and contempt and Viver Sevi and uh, Lapete Soldat and a woman is a woman. Those five were the ones I watched and uh, I haven't gone back. So there's something about that where I'm like, okay, I, I got my fill, I guess, but I do want to go back now after after kind of reading about these guys and their, their kind of, their kind of rivalry, I watched a really cool uh, interview with Dudley Andrew, a film historian. It's from 2015. It's about 20 minutes. It's on criterion. It's fascinating because this guy knows everything there is, you know, that you need to know about the French new wave. And he has a uncanny ability to just spell it all out for you without making you feel stupid, you know, uh, and he he didn't really side with either of them. He he, he kind of has has a respect for both of them, and thinks that their differences are really cool. But the way he kind of put it was, Godard is again the, the experimental one, the one who kind of wants to push the form, the 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 you know the medium of filmmaking as far as it can go. And Truffaut was the one who wanted to really relate to you and really wanted to kind of get under your skin and make you feel make you really feel something. Uh, Godard was more of like a political filmmaker. And Truffaut was like, I want to give you personable stories. And I, that's really cool. I thought he put it really well. I thought it was really respectful the way he did it. And then he talked about the letters that they sent back and forth 
after Godard left, uh, walked out of the screening of Day for Night. And, you know, they, they were not kind to one another. These are guys that were friends for decades. And they used to go, to, they used to go see films together in the, in the late 40s and in the 50s. They used to go hang out like you and I do. You know, like, let's go see a film together. This is what, this is what, they, what they did. And then after that, it just stopped because Godard sends him this long letter about this is not how people make films. Day for Night is, is a lie. He's calling him out. Um, he's calling out Truffaut out for uh, casting certain people in Day for Night, saying you only casted them because you wanted to sleep with them. You know, and, and while a lot of people believe that to be true, that Truffaut kind of had a pretty easy time with the ladies, like he, not a lot of women said no to him. You know, it's, it might be true, but there's just no reason to attack someone like this, you know, to attack someone. And he's like, I hate that people are going to see this movie and think that that's how we all make films. He specifically stated that Jacqueline Bissett, um, who plays the English, you know, she's, she's the English actress in, in the movie, uh, Day for Night. He was like, you only cast her because you wanted to sleep with her and you're acting like you're holier than thou. And Truffaut comes right back at him tenfold and is like, you're a pretentious shit. You're the one who cast people because you just want to sleep with them. So they just start fucking fighting like two little kids, you know? And, and these letters, I, 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 um, I'm pretty sure our fellow uh, filmgasm contributor, Josh knows about these and has, has, uh, has read these. Cause I know he he's into the, these kind of filmmakers. Right. And these guys who threw all the rules out the window and started making their own kind of films. Uh, so I'd love to talk to him about those. Uh, I know he's not going to come on Oscar Sunday, but, I would love to talk to him about, about those and kind of see what he thinks about it. Cause it, it's fascinating. It's again, it would be like Tarantino and PTA or, or Spike Lee and, and Tarantino just being like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You know, they're just going, going back and forth with letters. A lot of people compare it to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Um, where these, these two guys who worked together and then kind of hated each other. And then really ultimately were like, no, I just don't get along with you. I don't want to speak to you. And it's sad. It's fucking sad, you know, that like ego and art gets in the way. Yeah, reminds me of I'm going to pull out some old school history shit right now. Reminds me very much of the feud Let's between uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams in the 17, uh, I mean, the uh, 1800s, early 1800s. They were good friends in the revolution, respected one another wrote constant letters to one another being like, oh, I really appreciate your thoughts on this philosoph- like philosopher. No, John, you, you are the true, like, it's, it's, they were such, they appreciated each other's intellects. And then they ran for president against each other. And shit got dirty fast. Like, it became a smear campaign unlike this country had ever seen. And they were calling out each other being like, you know, you have, like, you're sleeping with your slaves and you are a short, fat, little sad man. Like, it got really childish. <laughs> yeah. And to the point where, like, their letters became vicious of, like, you, how could I ever call myself your, like, your friend? And how could I ever call myself your friend? And that, that <laughs> turned into that. And then even on their deathbed, they died on the same day. And John Adams' last words were, Thomas Jefferson lives. <laughs> so, like, I love seeing how a friendship can turn into garbage, but, like, just based on almost ego like being the exclusive cause. And that's, that feels very much what happened here with Godard and Truffaut. Both men were very proud, very proud of their films, proud of their work. I think they both considered themselves to be major players in this new movement and wanted to be kind of the face of it. And it was up to kind of the public to decide who 
is who, whose work has more value. And mm. Godard just, I don't think he could handle that. I don't think he could handle the fact that people were going to decide his legacy. Yeah. 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 As we God, said, as we've learned in his letters, he could give a fuck about what people thought. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. So, so fascinating. I think you can look at, that's a great example. Jefferson and Adams is it's like, if you get close enough with somebody, you're going, you're going to learn a lot about them. If you, especially if you work with someone and you have these kind of creative juices flowing with one another, you're going to learn a lot about them. And if it ever, if it ever goes sour, then you both have all this ammo because you yeah. because because you've learned to you've learned to dislike the flaws that both people have, right? You've learned to say like like it it, it would be like if me and my my brother were like all of a sudden you did something that bothered me, so I'm gonna call you out for all these things you did in our childhood, you know. And yeah. I'm gonna call you out. I'm gonna call you out for being a little whiny bitch when you were five. You know, like it's just crazy. It's, it's bonkers. It reminds me a lot of uh, right now. Um, this 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 just is. It's going. It has happened many times in history, and it's going to continue to happen. You can look at Jefferson and Adams, Truffaut and Godard, uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. These guys who won six championships together in the 1990s with the Chicago Bulls. After the last dance came out, Scottie Pippen was like, fuck you, dude. Like, fuck you, Michael Jordan. You put yourself on a pedestal saying that you did all this basically by yourself when the rest of your team was right there behind you the whole way. When in fact, Scottie Pippen is like, dude, you retired in the middle of us winning. You retired in your 30s so that you could go play baseball and you left us out to dry and then you came back and we won more championships and you act like you're the only reason we won those. Scotty Pippen even came out with a book earlier uh, last year. He came out with a book where he explains his side of the story. Cause he's like the last dance lied. It lied to you. I'm going to tell you what I think. And you know, people are going to usually side with a guy who is quote unquote better at the sport, which is Jordan. But there are people out there who are like, wait a minute, Pippen has something to say here. I'm going to, I'm going to hear him out. And now they hate each other. <laughs> uh, Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. They eventually got around to being friends again towards, towards the end of uh, Kobe Bryant's career, which thank God, cause he's not, not with us anymore, but they hated each other so much so that Shaq was like, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of Los Angeles. It happens. It happens in every facet of life, you know, whether it be politicians, musicians, filmmakers, athletes, friends, family, you know, it's just this fascinating thing. And I was blown away by it because it, it happens to be two filmmakers who are looked at as Titans. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to think of like a celebrity kind of beef that's going on right now. And I don't want to compare these guys to Truffaut and Godard because they're not even in the same fucking ballpark when it comes to making films. But the only thing I can think of is, is Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel right now. Yeah, no, no. That, I mean, that's that's valid. Those two guys are pretty much everyone, especially in the English speaking part of the world and, and even worldwide. Like they know who they are, you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, what happened there was pride and ego and Vin Diesel, you know, thinking this superstar is usurping my franchise 
He's become the face. I don't like that. So he started treating him like shit. He pushed Dwayne Johnson away. Dwayne left the franchise and now it's not making the kind of money it used to make. So, you know, and like, you know, Vin trying to use Paul Walker's death and like his kids to try to lure Dwayne Johnson back and him being like, what the fuck, man, you don't do that. And yeah, it's just some people can't help but air their dirty laundry in public, especially celebrities. And apparently it's always been that way since the fucking 1700s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And who knows? There's got to be other stuff, you know, beyond, you know, it's just, it's just really, really interesting when two people work together, love each other, love each other's, you know, creative minds. And then all of a sudden it, it breaks at some point and then they start pointing fingers, you know, it's good God, really sad. Uh, that, We'll leave it at that for Godard and Truffaut. I would love to do a Godard movie at some point. We can't really do any of his movies on Oscar Sunday because the guy, he doesn't have any nominations. He got an honorary award like some like 10 years ago. Uh, but that's it. You know, none of his actual work, you know, he didn't get best director or best screenplay or this or that. So I, I don't really know how we'll bring him up, but one day, one day we, we, we should just to kind of, keep this conversation going uh because it's 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 fascinating well i mean i for the good of the conversation we could throw a godard film onto filmgasm i am i'm willing to do that you know what it should be it should be contempt it's it's the the film about filmmaking for godard and in comparison to day for night it's completely different it's more about producer, director, writer, they're the three, those three guys having, having their relationship and working together and the, the problems and issues they have versus this is everybody. Day for night is, is the, it's the whole cast, the whole crew is right there in that hotel. And we kind of see everything, which I prefer. And that, that right there tells me so much about who Godard is as a person, who he values on a film set. And that's, that's some cold shit. Like, like Truffaut yeah. is like, this is a collaborative effort. And Godard is like, I make the movie. And that's fucked yeah. up. Godard over and over in his movies was, like, made it very clear that money is how these things work. There's a famous scene from, uh, it's going to escape me right now because there's, there's so goddamn, goddamn many of them. But there's, there's a scene where he's, it shows, the, it shows the producer signing checks like over and over and over for these different people that work on the film. And it's showing, you know, Godard's very much reminding you that, yes, there is, there is magic in this, but ultimately it's not magic, it's money. It's money that makes these things go and work. And <laughs> it's such a fucking, like, sad and depressing way to kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of show it. While it may be true in a lot of senses, it's just sad. Whereas Truffaut was like, this is, there is magic. There is magic. You know, there is, I mean, day for night. I think he's plainly saying it by the, the character of Alphonse is saying women are magic, right? Women are magic. I think he's using that as kind of a, you know, kind of a substitute for saying like, this is magic. What we're doing is magic. This art form is magical. And like Truffaut clearly believes in that. Yeah. Truffaut is the wizard of Oz and Godard is the asshole behind the curtain. <laughs> there's just, there's, yeah. he doesn't <laughs> believe in it, but he's still trying uh... to, pull the, you know, pull people's like. It's it just bothers me. Like we all know this shit is financed. We all know it costs millions of dollars. We all know nothing happens without the checks. We know that. But goddamn, yeah. let us have the illusion. Just let us yeah. <laughs> yeah. let us 
think this is, you know, these are made in magical caves with camera, you know, fairies with cameras. Just let us let us have that. Why why you got to take that away, Jean Luc? Why you got to do that? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's trying to rob you of like an innocent experience, and yeah. that's 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 like for me personally. I mean, I don't know. It's it's so cynical and a little bit admirable, but I don't really want to like share that experience with anyone. That's just kind of like, okay, I get it. It's sad. It's dark, you know, and you have to like pay a lot of people off just to get things done. But I, I don't know. It reminds me so much of uh, right now the um, on Disney Plus, the book of Boba Fett is is on is uh, ongoing. And a lot of people are just randomly upset. But a lot of other people are enjoying it. And I feel like Godard is that guy who's watching you watch Boba Fett, notices you're enjoying it and suddenly starts saying, like, they ruined his character. He's supposed to be evil. Stop enjoying this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like that guy who's like watching all of the superhero movies and he's like, that's not how it was done in the comics. No, 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 no. They didn't do that. Yeah. No, Bane didn't look that way. You know, <laughs> you, know you like you complain about every little fucking thing when it comes to superhero movies is, is those like comic nerds. It's like, who gives a shit? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> if the Godard, movie is entertaining and good, leave it. Yeah, Godard's, it's, you know, that's not how you make a movie. This is how you make a movie. You're not, in, you're not watching yeah. real art. That's not real art. This is real art. Like, I feel like I could go have, you know, have a beer with Truffaut, you know, hear some cool stories. I, I don't think I'd last through one minute of conversation with Godard without wanting to punch him in the face. I would just want to steal his glasses. I'd be like, give me those fucking glasses. You, you prick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, enough Godard. That, this is, this is great though. I'm having a blast. Um, if you were, before we get, get heavy into day for night and we start looking at some, some Academy Awards stuff. What's the Truffaut movie that you're now like is on your list to watch next? Hmm. Um, to be fair, haven't looked through them that um, yet, but let's go ahead and do that. Let's see what of Truffaut's career looks most appetizing. It's a good question. Do you, do you, I, as do of you now, feel it? Yeah. Good. Do you, do you feel it's necessary to continue the 400 blows experience? I think that's where I'm going to go. That's yeah. I was just going to say that. I think that's, I'd want to know how Antoine's life works out. I feel invested in that. Um, that seems like the next logical uh, step. Um, but beyond that, I haven't really, uh, I don't know anything about the rest of his films. Uh, I think we just have to be kind of an ongoing uh, exploratory process. I do. I did recognize, um, I remembered his cameo at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes. I thought that was funny. Like, that's how I knew him before we did this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely want to rewatch that just to just to kind of just kind of like, oh, my God, there he is again. Uh, I, I think I think I think on my list, I want to continue the Antoine experience. And like you said, figure out what happens with him. But I really want to see the one I keep hearing about reading about rather is is 1962's Jewels and Jim. It covers decades of a love triangle uh, concerning two, two friends and an impulsive woman. So that just sounds, yeah, like, okay, sign me up. That's, that seems perfect. Hour and 45 minutes, probably going to have a great pace to it. Um, I'm, I'm totally in. That's, that's on my radar. Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, weirdly, I know more Godard films than I do Truffaut, and I 
I have no intention of watching guitars films. It's just yeah, yeah. let's change that. Yeah. It's like it's like a it's like a hate fuck, you know? It's like I just like I hate him so much I can't help but memorize all of his work. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. It's like you know more about him than your actual heroes. Your you 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 know the enemy. <laughs> That's yeah, great for sure. Um but yeah, as of now, I, I would I would pursue the uh, the sequels to the four hundred blows. Yeah, that's 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 a good way to go, man. And you know, again, check out uh, check out Criterion for some of that some of that noise. They got all kinds of stuff concerning Truffaut, and it's just yeah, it's just just wonderful. So um, for these for for these uh, categories and for these awards, I want to go ahead and get the uh, best foreign language film out of the way. It's from the 46th Academy Awards. Uh, Day for Night gets the win, representing France. Uh, and again, I, I'm not going to know these know these titles very well. I'm not going to be able to pronounce them. Uh, the House of Chalush Street from Israel was nominated. Uh, Let Invitation uh, Switzerland was nominated. The Pedestrian from Germany, West Germany, was nominated. And Turkish Delight from the Netherlands was nominated. So I haven't seen any of those, but Day for Night. But, you know, once I read something, it's usually somewhere in my brain. I find it very intriguing that uh, there's a film from West Germany up for the for the Oscar here. I, you know, you forget that that was not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Yes, yeah, this, um, is, this is this is 1974, you know, I mean. This this ceremony is 1974. This is the ceremony where the Sting wins Best Picture. Uh, the Sting won fucking seven awards. Uh, it beat American Graffiti, Cries and Whispers, The Exorcist, and A Touch of Class. Uh, really, really, really good year for the Oscars. The, a lot of the 70s years are, so very cool. But again, Day for Night only competed in that category and won. And then the following Academy Awards, the 47th, this is the one we're going to really look at. Uh, it was it was up for three, three different awards: best best screenplay, best director, and best actress in a supporting role. Where do you want to start? Um, real quick, I do want to just point out on the foreign language film category on the forty sixth Oscars, the pedestrian from West Germany is directed by Maximilian Schell. Yes, and it's about the trial of a elderly war criminal. So I am very intrigued by that. Um, yes, of course. Maximilian <laughs> is uh, is one of our favorite performers in Judgment at Nuremberg, nineteen sixty one. So yeah. Um, so with all right, with that, I think we should start at uh, screenplay. Okay, best original screenplay. Yeah. Oh boy, we got a group here. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, okay, here we go, man. This is gonna be a lot of fun. This is gonna be cool because we. I've covered um, the winner of this category and long time ago, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time, but there's going to be something to be said here. Uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Robert Getchell was nominated. The Conversation by Francis Ford Coppola was nominated. Day for Night, Francois Truffaut, Suzanne Schiffman, and Jean-Louis Richard. Harry and Tonto by Paul Mazursky and uh, Josh Greenfield. Greenfeld, sorry. And the winner. Robert Towns, incredible screenplay for Chinatown. So now that we've uh, done a little bit more homework, where do you, how do you feel about this group? 
I'm going to have to watch Harry and Tonto. Um, but to me, there is no contest at all. This was Chinatown's win. Still well-deserved. The screenplay to that film is rock solid. I, I have no, nothing's changed for me. Yeah, and you know what's you know what's really sucks about about this ceremony in Chinatown? It's the only win it got. Yeah. No, Chinatown wins nothing else at this ceremony. And it, it is its best attribute. You know, uh, of course, Jack Nicholson is fucking great. Uh Faye Dunaway is fucking incredible as well. But the screenplay is like you said, it's it's kind of in a class of its own. Incredible that it's not. It's it's weird to me that it's an original screenplay. You know, you you feel like Chinatown should totally be this classic novel that got adapted, but no, it's this incredible, incredible screenplay. Uh, I think uh, I'm with you. I haven't seen Harry and Tonto, but of the other four, I think I'd say Day for Night would get second place. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Day for Night gets second place. Um, then, then for me, and then you, yeah, go ahead. This is tough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the third and fourth, uh, the conversation, and Alice doesn't live here anymore. I, I don't really know. I think I'd, I think I'd probably go conversation. I would go Alice. That's fair. I, yeah, I don't think there's any wrong answer there. Those two. This is a good group. Yeah. And who knows? Who, who knows? Maybe, maybe Harry and Tonto would, would uh, rattle our cages. I mean, he did. Art Carney won Best Actor over four of the greatest actors to ever pick up the craft so i it better be amazing <laughs> yeah that group is art carney like you said for the win uh beat albert finney <laughs> dustin hoffman jack nicholson and al pacino just not not just jack God. nicholson and al pacino jack in chinatown and al as michael corleone in the godfather too <laughs> and and pacino uh winning for scent of a woman is great but it's like, wait a minute. How does he not win for Michael Corleone and Godfather Part Two? He's putting on a fucking show. But uh, you could say the same thing about Jack. I think I think Lenny is extremely underrated and an awesome movie. And Dustin is scary good in it. And Albert Finney, probably my least favorite role of those four, but still very very good. Murder on the Orient Express. I just I I, I think it's so entertaining. Um, it's got such an all star cast of incredible character actors and it's a great whodunit especially if you don't know the ending it's very much a a great it's a great detective story uh yeah and i think finney's great in that yeah love albert finney um yeah man this is cool this is it's cool to always add another piece another piece to the puzzle of a ceremony with a day for night um let's see Best supporting actor. So let's move to that one next and finish with director. What do you think? Sounds great. Okay. So we've now seen all of these, uh, all five of these films that are represented. We have the winner, Ingrid Bergman, absolute legend for uh, her role in murder, murder on the Orient Express. We have Valentina Cortez for day for night. She's incredible. Uh, Madeline Kahn for blazing saddles. Diane Ladd for Alice doesn't live here anymore. Uh, and Talia Shire for The Godfather Part Two. Great group. <laughs> I'm so glad I've seen all five of these films. It feels good. Um, all right. Ingrid is good in Murder on the Orient Express. I don't think it's her best work. Um, I'm a little no. surprised at the win for that one. Um, 
<laughs> Honestly, I want to give this to Madeline Kahn. Okay. Interesting. Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is a film that's kind of like people have started to sweep it under the rug these days because of how mind numbingly offensive it is. I get that. If it's not your cup of tea, it's not your cup of tea. But I think what Brooks was trying to accomplish, he pulled off. I think it's a hilarious satire that just condemns racism and shows off how fucking stupid it is. And Madeline Kahn's performance as Lily Von Stupp is iconic as fuck. She is so funny. She holds her own against, you know, Gene Wilder and Cleavon Little, and it's just perfect. I, I think she's fantastic. Uh, I've always loved Madeline Kahn. I think she's one of the funniest women who ever lived. And I would love if she took home an Oscar. I love that. That's great. That's a very personal, uh, personal reasoning for, for Madeline Kahn. Uh, I, I would go for Valentina and day for night. I was blown away by her. Uh, there's a specific scene that I think want, should have won her this award. And it's, it's towards the beginning of the film when she's pissed drunk and is trying to do this scene with Alexandra <laughs> It's just, a, it, it, it's for, for people who love, you know, this is one of those scenes where you can't, can't help yourself, but just smile and laugh and be in bewilderment of how good it is. But uh, I'm, yeah, I, Diane Ladd is fucking awesome. And Alice doesn't live here anymore. Talia Shire, of course, a lot of Godfather part two uh, nominations and she's wonderful as Connie. Uh, this is a good group, man. Really good group. And I think Ingrid is the most talented of these women. But I'm with you. I don't think it's her best work. And I think the Oscars were, you know, they, they, they very much have their people they really, really like. You know, and Ingrid Bergman, Meryl Streep, Catherine Hepburn, they really love those women. And they're going to usually side with them if it comes down to it. To me, the person who I think should have won this isn't even here. Okay. Uh, to me, if this was a perfect world, as we've often said, um, the winner of Best Supporting Actor is Diane Keaton for The Godfather 2. Oh, yeah. Diane Keaton is lights out. That's a great call. Yeah. I mean, it, she's great in Godfather 1, but Godfather 2, she has to carry the pain, the anger, and the frustration of being Michael Corleone's wife. She has that scene where she tells him, you know, I got an abortion because I don't want to carry your child. Like, she does a lot of heavy lifting in Godfather 2. And yeah. uh, I wish she'd been recognized. Yeah, I mean, you can give three nominations for supporting actor for the, for the, for the males for Godfather part two, but you can't throw Diane Keaton a bone. Come on. Yeah. That happens a lot. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. 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 And she's, uh, she's, yeah. Like you said, like one of the most important pieces to the film. So that's a good, that's a good shout out. This it's a really good group. The supporting actor group is, is incredible. Best actress, best actor. These are just all time performers. And again, the seventies, you look at these ceremonies and for me, and I think, I think for a lot of people, if you really do the work and watch these films, when you go back, they just got it right more than any other decade. Yeah. You're not wrong. The seventies just had it. These films are iconic. They've lived, they live forever. Even nominees like to see young Frankenstein get a screenplay nomination. That's just yeah. amazing. It's yeah, it's exactly. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Young, young Frankenstein going against, you know, Lenny and Murder on the Orient Express. Father, it's just really cool. Really cool to see those things happening. It's, it seems seems like we're never going to get back to a place where it feels this good, where movies 
you know, and, and that's a bigger conversation where like, th- these were the kind of films that were making a lot of money back then, you know, yeah. the Godfathers and the Chinatowns and that, that it's just different now, you know, it's just different stuff. That's uh that kind of drives the box office and drives the culture. So, you know, it's, it's diff- different, different era 50 years well, ago now. Well, I feel like I, I've noticed this in recent years. There's not, not every filmmaker's doing this, but a lot of them are. I feel like there's this inherent need to kind of prove something these days. Like you have to justify why you're here as a filmmaker. And in the seventies, it was just people trying shit. It was just like, let's make this fuck what anyone thinks, but let's make this. And I wish we had that kind of grit, that kind of uh, like confidence these days. I wish we had that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. It it was a product of so many things, you know, of course in American filmmaking, it's the Hayes code is, is gone yeah. in the late sixties. So you have the, the influx of, like you said, experimentation, you have the influences of the French new wave. You have the influences of foreign, foreign language films saying, fuck it, we're going to do it our way. And it bleeds over to American filmmakers because they're inspired and they're inspired to do something different, do something wild. And I, I, I just think it's such a fascinating time for the medium. Uh, and, this best director group is just is beyond me. I, <laughs> I this is one of my favorite groups I've ever laid my eyes upon. <laughs> it's it's it, it's bonkers. We have Rowan Plansky nominated for Chinatown. We have Francois Truffaut, uh, Francois Truffaut for Day for Night. Bob Fosse for Lenny. John Cassavetes for A Woman Under the Influence, and the winner Francis Ford Coppola for The Godfather Part Two. Woof. <laughs> Jesus Christ, (laughs) boy! Let's go. Uh, Let's go. Let's go ahead and rank them. Fuck it. Okay. Oh boy. Um. All right. Who? All right. The films themselves. I would. uh, I don't want to give it to Polanski. I just don't because of who he is. But Chinatown is so goddamn good. It's hard. yeah. Yeah. That's 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 yeah yeah. If you're uh, let's 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 try to narrow it down. What would be your number five? Who's fifth in this category? Uh, Cassavetes. Cassavetes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I figured he is <laughs> for me too. I he he is for me too. I love that movie. I love Cassavetes. I love the performances in that movie. Uh, Jenna Rollins uh, is is lights out in that in that film. It's, it's a bit long, I'll admit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it, but it's it's very good. That's my number five as well. Num- number four, uh, probably Fosse for Lenny. Oof. Yeah, same, same. Very tough. Uh, I, that's a ten out of ten movie for me. I love Lenny. Lenny's great. I love how that film shines a light on one of the most ridiculous laws we've ever had, which are censorship laws. I don't know why the fuck that even exists, and how Lenny Bruce was just constantly taken to task for it for just being himself or doing his own thing. And Fosse's direction is great. I've got no beef with that. It's just the yeah. rest of these films are game changers. And, yeah. And, and, and with Lenny, it's really cool. If you see all that jazz, because all that jazz is loosely based on, uh, you know, Roy Scheider is playing a version of Bob Fosse, you know, trying to, trying to put this, put this musical together while also directing and editing fucking Lenny you know yeah. so it's it, it's a really cool kind of piece of cinematic history in that sense yeah very true um so that was my four what's your four uh, Bob Fosse still Fosse okay 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think we might be on the same page here. It's just they're so good for me. They're all so good. Yeah, I think now I think we're on the same page so far. I think things are going to change here, though. Okay, <laughs> let's hear number three. My number three is Truffaut. Same. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Day for night is 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 incredible, and I can't wait to watch it again. I'm so glad I own it. Honestly, I think Truffaut could have taken a supporting actor nomination. I yeah, he was really He's good. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love I love <laughs> I love the way they kind of just all have this strange, strange respect for him, but they also are, uh, he, he's their equal in this movie. You know, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, it's great. It's, uh, he was, I wish he wasn't dead. Um, uh, I would yeah, love to I see know, an interview man. now of like Truffaut talking about his legacy. It's a damn shame. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. All right. Number two. Oh, this is the, I feel like we've been here before. Debating, you know, the coin flip of Chinatown and The Godfather Two. I, I remember it's, doing this. It's the it's it, uh, we we just talked about uh, last week when we did the showdown. It, it's just as good as Cohen's versus PTA in two thousand seven. Like th- it's this is the kind of this is why we do this show. This is why we do it. Yeah, I don't remember who I went with when we did Chinatown. I I feel I like I had the same confliction of you know Polanski shouldn't get it just because of who he is as a human being. Chinatown's amazing. Uh, I don't know who I went with. Uh, you, you said you remember what I picked. I, I remember what I picked because it's always been the same for me. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say number two, Polanski, Chinatown. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm reverse. My number two would be Francis Ford Coppola. And number one would be Polanski for Chinatown. It's just, a, just an absolute feat, the Chinatown. It's, it's calling to so many things and looking ahead to so many things it's this middle ground movie that it's so revolutionary and so inspirational to so many people and whatever you think about Polanski you know I mean yeah he's a piece of shit but Chinatown what he does with Chinatown what he accomplished is is far beyond my imagination (laughs) yeah you're right I'm not gonna argue with any of that this was uh this is a hard decision to make if you and we often do, you know, we we do our best to separate the men from their work, and as you know, the the guy sitting in the director's chair of Chinatown pulled off something incredible. Yeah, Coppola did the same. Yes. with The Godfather too. This sprawling, like three and a half hour epic of the Corleone family, from beginning to not end, but definitely the beginning of the end, is so powerful and so engaging and holds up. And I hope I'm not contradicting myself from a few, from like a year ago, but I guess we'll find out. I think this is what you did last time too. I think, I think you had this similar kind of thought about it and you were like, ah, yeah, I don't know. Well, like I said, you know, it depends on the day. It's a coin toss. Maybe today I'm feeling Coppola. Maybe next week I'm feeling Polanski. Maybe I watch Lenny again and I'm like, God, Fosse really did kill it. You know, it's it's all about what you're feeling on the day. And right now, Coppola earned it with The Godfather 2. And I'm I it's been a long time since I sat through that thing proper. It's a it's a haul. It's your whole day. But it is quite a movie. Yeah, well, I yeah, I, the last time I watched The Godfather's at least part one and two <laughs> uh, <laughs> was when we covered all of them on filmgasm like long, long time ago. And that was the last, that was the last time I watched even an, a, a snippet of it. 
I'm I love those movies. I think they're I think they're great. I think there's a, a, a slight. I think this can happen. I think maybe this might be the case with Chinatown too. I think there's a slight. I don't even want to use the word overrated, but there's this there's something about it where people just praise it just because that's what people do. It's like oh oh it's the Godfather. It's the greatest film of all time, you know. And they they don't really know what they're talking about, or there's no. There's no nuance to the to the to their answer. It's just it's the greatest, and that's that, you know. And 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 yeah, it's incredible. They're both wonderful, wonderful movies. Like you said, they're epic and they're long, and they keep you keep you excited. They keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time. But there's something about it that just rubs me slightly the wrong way. Fair enough. The first one to me, flawless, untouchable, perfect movie. The second one. I do have problems with it. I think it doesn't need to be that long. I honestly think you could have taken the De Niro stuff out and made that Godfather three. I, I um, wish. Yeah, I know. But I did. Yeah. I, I understand that Godfather two is, has kind of become like it's taken on a life of its own and people kind of give it praise without actually sitting through the full three and a half hours and understanding why this won all these Oscars, why this is considered an American classic. And it does have flaws. You know, I think that the whole uh, Cuba thing does get a little confusing sometimes. Um, I think uh, failing to nominate John Cazale is one of the biggest mistakes the, the Oscars have ever made. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I understand that. That makes sense to me. Yeah. No, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, I think I both have them both as like just nines, like nine out of 10 movies. They're awesome. You know, they're, they're great. And they belong. They belong in these categories, you know, you know, the both Godfather movies, but Godfather, the, the first one from 1972, we will be covering that movie on this show at some point this year. It has to happen. It's hitting its 50th uh, anniversary. Like we have to do it. You know, uh, there's just, there's, there's no way around it. <laughs> and, and then, and then in 2014, uh, sorry, uh, 2024, sorry. We'll come back around and do, do Godfather part two and, and talk about this group again, you know, uh, which, which would be great. Cause we'll have to rewatch them all. <laughs> Fucking love that. We're making podcast plans for 2024. Of course. I, <laughs> I always, uh, all I, I'm so grateful that through the 2020s, we'll be able to cover these 1970s best picture groups, uh, over and over. I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be awesome. We did, uh, we did French Connection not that long ago, and I yeah. was like, "This is this is wonderful to be able to to do do the '70s proper." I love it. Yeah, that's a that's that's a great opportunity. I'm glad we can do that. Um, just for just for kicks, I've got The Godfather one at a ten, Godfather two at an eight, and Godfather three at a six. It's a ten, eight, six, big jumps in between. I yeah, I got <laughs> yeah. not. I've got nine, nine. Five or six. I don't fucking know. I don't really care. <laughs> I have seen The Godfather three three times. I immediately forget whatever the fuck it's about as soon as I'm done. It's impossible to retain that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's frustrating. <laughs> it's That's for sure. Um, okay, my my last my last question before we get to our awards for day for night and start talking about what we really really love about that film. Okay. Should it be? In the best picture group. Oh. Yeah. I think it should. Over Towering Inferno? Conversation? I would take out the conversation. I really, really like the Towering Inferno. 
Yeah, that was epic. It's such a cool cast. Yeah. <laughs> it's it has no business being as engaging and intense as it ended up being. Like that could have been a throwaway, you know, weekend gig, but they turned it into something epic that is going to last forever and I appreciate that. Okay. I like that. So you take out the conversation. I think I would take out Towering Inferno, but that's not I mean I I yeah, I love all those movies. Oh, this is a flawless uh, group. It's hard to pick a an odd man out here. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, this this is just an awesome year. The movie that I have like circled that I I've had circled for a long time since I really ever since I first saw uh, Lebowski and fell in love with Jeff Bridges is Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't seen that yet. I have heard really good things about that one. I remember watching uh, Jeff Bridges talk about his career on those GQ uh, actor spotlight videos. I fucking love those. Um, yes. He was talking about how he was so unsure of himself. And he told Clint Eastwood, like, who was his co-star, like, look, I don't know if I can do this. And Clint's like, no, you're the guy. Like, you, you are this character. So be the character. Like, you're not playing anybody. You are this character. And he carried that with him throughout the rest of his career. Like, I'm not playing anybody. I am the dude. I am the whatever the hell his name is from Tron. I am all of these guys. <laughs> and I love oh, that's that. so cool. <laughs> I love that's that, cool. man. Yeah. So Thunderbolt and Lightfoot definitely high up on my list as well. And I, I want to knock out Harry and Tonto just so I can understand how the hell Art Carney beat these guys. Y- yeah. And is it is it is it is it wrong or are we just so in love so used to being in love with all these other guys that we we just don't know you know we just haven't seen we haven't we haven't seen something that's amazing i i have a hard time believing that that you know i mean fuck i it's gotta go to nicholson or pacino for me uh i just have a hard time believing that something could be as great as those two performances i i think in any any given year in oscar history Nicholson and Pacino for those particular roles, they're going to be nominated at least. And most years they would probably win. I really wish we had a Hepburn Streisand tie here and Nicholson and Pacino both took this. Because honestly, I don't want to pick, I don't want to pick favorites. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I personally, Nicholson's like borderline my favorite actor to ever live. So I, I mean, I like him more than Pacino personally, but that's just that's just me. Nicholson is the fucking dude. He's just he 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 does just crazy crazy good stuff. Uh, his his role from the year before, Last Detail, and then his role the year after where he wins for One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest. Like it's just like this guy's fucking untouchable, man. Like he's yeah. so he's so good. And then of course you know we've always talked about him how a lot of his best stuff isn't even nominated. You know, Shining. He's um he's amazing as the Joker in Batman, nineteen eighty nine. He's just, yeah, he's, he, he might be my favorite actor of all time. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. Jack's, Jack's the fucking man. He's, he's dynamite. Uh, but 70s Pacino is hey, a force yeah. of its own. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. And that same just unstoppable run. Godfather, Serpico, Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon. It just didn't stop. Yeah. No, so. he, yeah, he's special. And, 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 you know, fuck, fuck us. Dustin Hoffman. He's also in the seventies is like, what, what, what is this guy on right now? You know, it's just crazy. This is a special time, special, special time where people are influenced by the things of the past. And you can see even more influence now. in these guys from this decade, from this era. So it's really cool. 
Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's the seven. I love. I I enjoy every episode we do of this show. But we when we get to tap into the seventies, there's something special. Like it it feels different. It feels stronger. Like we're getting to be a part of something. Like we're learning something. This is a very special decade of film, and I I love getting to constantly spotlight it. Yeah, me too, man. Me fucking too. There's nothing like it. You know, at this, <laughs> just for shits and giggles, at this uh, ceremony, guess what wins best foreign language film? I saw. Yeah. Fellini! Fucking <laughs> arm record. Yeah. My shit. I love that movie. I would love to see that one and and uh, Day for Night go head to head. Hell yeah. Two fucking legends of European filmmaking. <laughs> Yeah, Fellini, I feel like, has that same ego that Godard has. Just yeah, doesn't give a yeah, fuck yeah. what people think. I'm making my vision. Truffaut just got it. He just understood what people cared about, what people wanted. He was able to express himself with cinema while also being accessible. And I, I respect the shit out of that. Like, he just, he fucking got it. I know I've said that several times, but it's true. He got it. Yeah, we got, we got to keep watching more, man. In fact, let me look up another one of his movies was was one foreign language film or was nominated, uh, but he wasn't nominated. I, I'm going to look at that real quick just because, like, I, I'm just curious. What, what else could we do of Truffaut's on the show? You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. It's the best foreign language film. Uh, yeah. Before we get to our awards, because, yeah, I'm having too much fun with this. Um, <laughs> too much fun with this group. Too much fun with the, these conversations, these people that are involved. Let's see. Oh, yeah, it's called International Feature Film now. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to be it, though. I know there's like an actual list on Wikipedia. Um, while you're looking for that, I do want to point out, I looked through Truffaut's filmography, and I saw he did an adaptation of Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, which yeah. I would love to see. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I've heard that that's like one of his more mixed like mixed movies, like as far as uh, critics go, reviews go. So I, I want to see it just to have a side. Yeah, same. I, I haven't, I've, I've always wanted to read that. I'm familiar with the story and I love, I love the idea of it. So I definitely would like to see that. All right, here we are. I love looking at this list, looking at these movies. Let's see if we can see Francois Truffaut's name again. Lots of Ingmar Bergman. Lots of Fellini. There's Polanski, Knife in the Water, 1963. Uh, you like Knife in the Water? I did not like like Knife in the Water. But I want to I want to rewatch it. I just thought, oh. you know, oh, what is it? Stolen Kisses, which is a part of the the five five. It was it was nominated for best foreign language film. Lost to War and Peace. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> At the 41st Academy Awards. So that's before Day for Night. Uh, there's Z. Oh, it's good old Z. 1969. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that might be it, my friend. I think so. Well, we know we could always do a proper episode on the 400 Blows. And yeah. then Stolen Kisses is an option, too. So this is not the last we've seen of Francois Truffaut on this show. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not by a long shot. Oh, here he is again. 1980, The Last Metro, 53rd Academy Awards. Lost to Moscow Does Not Believe in Tears. I've heard that's a great one. Okay. Oh, and Akira Kurosawa is also in that group. Very cool. Very cool. 
shit, we should do an episode on that group of films. That sounds like a really I'm, loaded. <laughs> I'm fucking in. That's um, yeah. I would rather do a showdown with those movies than the 1980 movies that were, you know, ordinary fucking people. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to do a, a Robert Redford directed Timothy Hutton movie. You don't want to do that. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's one of the more dull best picture winners for me. Uh, but I, yeah, I would love to fucking watch a Russian movie, a Hungarian movie, Japanese, French, and Spanish. Yeah. Sign yeah. me up. We're we've, we've done the work. We can tackle some shit like that. Now I'm down for that. 100%. Cool. Francois Truffaut hats off to you, man. Uh, I'm excited to give some awards out for this movie. Uh, day for day for night and figure out what 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 really made it tick for both of us so uh let's let's get down to it we have the tarantino award for best quote we've got the ennio morricone award for best music moment best piece of score or soundtrack whatever you want to whatever you want to shout out uh we've got the best uh performance of the movie the philip seymour hoffman that's going to be a blast because this cast is just fucking incredible and then we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. So I'll let you take it away with your, your, your uh, best quote, the Tarantino. So I have two lines, um, both from uh, Ferrand, Truffaut's character, the director. Um, the first one is uh, when Valentina Cortez is uh, struggling to remember her lines, and she suggests uh, using numbers for some reason like that would ever fly like just let me say numbers and he's like he's trying to be helpful he's trying to be like to work with her but he has this one little moment of condescension where he says here in france we have to say the lines oh. <laughs> yeah he's laughing my ass off i'm like all right he's pissed yeah i love that that's <laughs> great um and then uh, another one from ferrand when they're putting the uh, fireplace together for the scene and he oh. says yeah um people used to stare at fires now they watch tv we need to see moving images especially after dinner i just thought that was profound me too man i loved that the flickering fire flickering images like so cool like i don't know it it might be it might be just like an on the nose type type quote but it is fucking it made me laugh. It made me smile. And it made me think like, Oh yeah, I literally have to watch movies at night. Otherwise I'm going to lose my fucking mind. You know, <laughs> you know? I am one of those people. <laughs> I love that. I love the constant references to filmmaking, the way he looks at, there was a line where he talks about like the director just thinks he knows everything. And sometimes he's right. Some, some line like that. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that. And then, like, that's, you know, that, seeing... that's 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 mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, beautiful. All right, tell yeah. me what you got. <laughs> that's mine. Yeah, that's uh, he says uh, again. Truffaut's character, director Ferran. He says, "What is a film director? A man who's asked questions about everything. Sometimes he knows the answers." <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. I love it. I didn't pick that because I was pretty sure you were going to pick that. Yeah, I love that line. It's, it was be, it was between that one and then the one from uh, Alexandra when he says. In 80 movies, I've died 24 times. Electrocuted twice, hanged twice. I've been knifed, committed suicide, died in accidents, but never a natural death. Anyway, I don't think death is natural. That's <laughs> creepy considering what happened. Fucking happens. hell, man. Yeah, and you're like, oh, wait. This, I love that character, man. He's, he's wonderful. He's kind of like this old older gentleman, this veteran who's on set. 
And, uh, you know, he has the most brutal ending in the whole movie. So just fucking crazy. There's so many good just pop, pop, pop. Uh, you know, uh, an actress who won't appear in a bathing suit is ludicrous. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so good. This, this screenplay is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty tight. I'm, I was impressed. I, at first I was like, wait, what's wait. So they're making a movie. I thought I, I, I watched this on YouTube. There was a, a really decent copy on YouTube and it was in the, it had the French title. And I thought for a second, like, am I watching a documentary about day for night? Like I had the first second. I'm like, yeah, is this about, and then I, I looked up a plot synopsis and I'm like, Oh no, they're on a movie set. Okay. This is the real, this is the right one. <laughs> yeah. It's his, it's his movie about making movies, you know? And it seems like if you have a certain, a certain ego that, that goes to a certain place at some point you have to make a movie like this, you know, you have to, you have to give your, you have to give your hand at it. You know, like Tarantino clearly was like, I'm going to make my movie about movies and I'm going to, I'm going to pay homage to the things I love. I'm also going to have, you know, add my style. I'm going to do my thing. And there's something just beautiful about that. You know, there's something really, really sweet about that kind of sentiment that I, that I respect a lot. Yeah. PTA has done it twice now. (laughs) Yeah. PTA quite frankly, will never stop putting little bits about, you know, yeah. In Boogie Nights, I mean, he's, you know, making a movie about people making porn. And in that movie, one of my favorite lines from, from one of my favorite bits from that movie is when they first get Mark Wahlberg's character, Eddie Adams, to that diner after Roller Girl like blows him in the back by, by the kitchen, by the sink, by the dish pit. And then he's like, hey, you remember Roller Girl? Come on. And they go to the diner and he explains, you know, films are expensive. You have to buy, you have to buy the film. You have to pay, pay the crew. You have to get microphones. You have to get actors, you know. And he breaks down like what it means to do this. And then throughout the movie, they show you how hard it is to do it. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's so, it's so cool when a, a director just says, fuck it, I'm going to go ahead and make something about what I do. And well, that could be, it, it, it can go, it can straddle the line of, of, of being pretentious. If you do it the right way and you have a little bit of respect, it can be, it can be a, a masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, one of the best, you know, I think general pieces of advice you get as a writer is write what you know. And yeah. when you know movies, it's old hat. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. I love it. I love it. Day for night. It's awesome. Cool screenplay. There, there's a lot, you know, um, I like uh, the are women magic, you know, being asked over and over. I think that's a hilarious bit. I like when Alphonse also says, I'm sure friend is wrong life is more important than films. <laughs> I love that. I love that line. <laughs> oh yeah. I love that. They're, you know, they're basically playing themselves. He's playing Truffaut. He's playing the kid who played Antoine. Like you can tell they've been together for a long time. It's, it's nice. It's cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Hey, Alphonse, I, I found his character to be really annoying, but also, extremely relatable at times and i love how he's constantly like if they have any downtime on set he's like i'm gonna go to the movies I'm like that, that would be me <laughs> that would totally be me he's like we're in nice like why would i we're in a city that has 37 motherfucking theaters why wouldn't i go to the theater <laughs> i love that. i was thinking of you the whole time when he was like his girlfriend's like you know why don't we go out to a nice restaurant he's like restaurant there's 37 movie theaters in this place like we, why wouldn't we do that <laughs> 
Yeah. We're in a gorgeous seaside town in fucking France. Like, what do you, what? Come on, let's go see some films. Let's check it out. <laughs> really cool. Oh, yeah. I also, I also love the bit in 400 blows when they go to the theater as a family and they start talking about the movie after in the car. And he's like, ah, the dad's like, whatever, you know, He's like, it wasn't, it wasn't that entertaining. And the, the mom's like, well, it had depth, you know, <laughs> like, I've had these conversations. I love it. I fucking love it so much. Well, it just shows me that these, these conversations have been going on since film began. It's yeah. We're just, you know, a small part of it. And, and I love that. Yes. And understanding that you are, you have importance as a movie fan, as someone who has a you know contribution it's small, but it's important to like actually give a shit and give your opinion out there and, and care about what you're watching. You know, don't just let it wash over you actually embrace it. And I think, I think directors, usually that's the beginning of their love for it is, is learning that I have something to say about this. And then they take that vision to the next place. It's really cool. Love it. Oh yeah. Let's go into uh, our next award. Morricone music moment. Yeah. Um, this came about l- less because of the music and more about the scene itself. And it mm. was when um, Ferrand is unpacking his books. Uh, the music starts playing and all these books start falling out of this package, all books about his influences. There's a book on Hitchcock, a book on Bergman, a book on Godard, you ungrateful shit, a book on Howard Hawks, like just all these guys who, uh, Truffaut has cited as influences for his career and to give them all a shout out like that was really cool and really just proper. I liked that. Uh, so that I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was, that's my choice as well. That scene is, is, is breathtaking. And, and I, I read uh, there's, there's one historian who believes that that scene is the most important scene of the film because he says that, not only is Godard placed on with those other directors, but he he's placed in the middle of uh, like his, his book is covered by the rest. And that Francois Truffaut was saying, you, you're, you're history, buddy. <laughs> you know? Like he, he was, he was kind of knocking him in the balls. Like you're just another guy. You're just another one of these guys. And I love that. I think that, I think that is so cool. So I went back and rewatched the scene and I was like, this music's kind of jolly, kind of good, kind of fun, you know? And then you're like, that interpretation is so cool. That's someone who watched the film with an intensely analytical mind and took that out of it. I, I, I completely missed that. I didn't think that. I didn't think that about it. It might not even be true. But it is very cool that someone who's a historian and studies the shit out of this stuff was like, no, that was intentional, that Godard was not placed in a special spot he was placed just with everybody else you are like everybody else you are no more important than orson or hawks or any yeah, anyone you are you're john Luc godard and that's that at that bet that was intentional that sounds okay. i mean if you know if you know this guy if this is a guy you've known for a long time not just like a name but like a person who's been to your house for dinner you've done stuff with them you've hung out you know him i'd I feel like you'd want to rub him the wrong way a little bit just because of the shit he's been talking, probably the whole production just being like, that doesn't seem right. Are you sure this is going to work out? Like, are you sure you're doing that? Right. Just shit like that. I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you, man. <laughs> you're going in the middle. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. I think it's very cool. I'm really glad I saw that bit. And it, 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 it caused it to almost become like my Deacon's Award because I was like, that's so genius, you know? Not only... I was enthralled by it when I first saw it. I was like, oh, this is cool as shit. This director who's just like, I fucking love movies. And he just orders all these books while they have this six week, uh, you know, gap to, to make this movie. And he's like going to fill his spare time with reading about directors and movies. I love that. That's the same shit we do. We buy up random films and are like, oh, they're here. And then, and then we <laughs> yeah. them. that's the shit we do. I was like, yeah. fuck, I get this guy gets me. Yeah, even if I don't, you know, you, you you just got in the mail today. You got Punch Drunk Love and Paths of Glory, the Criterion uh, Blu-rays, and you sent me yeah. a picture, and I was like, fuck yeah, you know, like, that's awesome. I I love both of those. I want to own both of them. And it, it might not mean that you watch them right away, but they're fucking there. <laughs> they're fucking there. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that that was the kind of guy he was, too. Like He was, he was you know, embracing everything he could find that was going to enhance his filmmaking vision, just like these, you know, everything we find enhances our, our show. It's, it's fucking great. I, 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 I felt a lot of connection to Truffaut. <laughs> yeah. Specifically through this movie, you know, uh, the 400 blows was more like, wow, this is a really cool character study, really cool coming of age movie. Day for night was like, this guy loves this shit as much as I do. <laughs> and, and, and that's enough to kind of connect and, Ah, uh, yeah, really, really cool, really cool scene, and and again, great music. I couldn't find the name of that part of the score. It was hard for me to find a lot of information about about the score. Uh, there is the one piece that plays over and over called Grand Corral, and it's it's kind of that. It plays at the end of the movie. It plays somewhere in the middle of it, and it's really good. It's a really cool, really cool piece of score. But I I, I was with you where I was kind of moved by that moment. Uh, this the the score is by George S. Um, Delarue or Delarue. I don't really know how to say it, but there's some good stuff in there. It's not the highlight of the movie, the score, but there's some good stuff. Yeah. And as far as the French names goes, as far as the French names go, uh, you know, we're, we're Texas. Good old boys. Give us a break. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm born, born in San Antonio. I say y'all, you know, I say we're trying thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not good at um, pronouncing foreign names you know unless i really know who they are some soccer be, players i have nailed down but movie people no just be glad you're not getting like francois truff truffat all right be happy you're not getting that yeah yeah because <laughs> there's those people out there yeah uh all right here we go the philip Seymour hoffman award for you who won the movie as far as performances it was, go it was Truffaut as as ferran i just i loved him basically playing himself, getting to see kind of the master at work here and how he corrals his crew, how he treats them all with respect, how he doesn't, you know, you know, he expresses to the actors like we need to get this done, but he doesn't like push them to anger or embarrassment. He's very patient with everybody, but also you get this sense of like this movie is collapsing under my feet the entire time. And I just I, I thought he handled that really well, pulling double duty as a director and an actor is tough sometimes. And he, he, I thought he pulled it off very well. He, he was my pick. Great pick. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's probably the right answer, you know, because if you look at the load he has to carry for, like you said, being writer, director, star of the movie, and not only just a star. Yeah. He's not just the star of the movie. Like Warren Beatty's the star of the movie. He's the star of the movie. That's about movie making. 
And he's like, it's like there's lots of layers to it. He's directing the movie and he's directing the fake movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just a lot going on. I'm sure I'm sure there were a lot of like sleepless nights where he was like, "What the fuck is happening to me?" <laughs> uh, uh, my my pick is uh, our, our guy, our, our boy Jean Pierre, who is now uh, someone that's just 100 on my radar. I can't wait to watch more of his work. He plays Alphonse, the guy who's obsessed with going to the movies and is in love with someone, gets engaged like at the beginning of the film. She runs away with the stunt man. And he's like, fuck it. I give up acting. I don't even want to do this anymore. <laughs> he's so impulsive and so ridiculous. And I thought the performance was, was just really, really, really good. Lots of skill involved. And it's interesting to see him in 400 blows as Antoine. And 14 years later, the dude has the same mannerisms. The dude has this weird way of, of portraying someone that you, again, you kind of, kind of want to like punch in the face but you're also like i want to give him a hug and hang out it's weird i love performances like that i love people who can do that he's great um he's also great in the uh the short i watched antoine and colette so yeah he's 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 on my radar well i just got the vibe that he's playing essentially the same character i mean he's playing somebody who clearly has a lot of hang-ups with love he needs to feel connected to something he needs that that emotional connection or he feels lost and how does that come about from years of emotional neglect. And that's, that's Antoine. But yeah, I, I thought he was good. I get, I, yeah, his, his character's trajectory was so strange when he sleeps with uh, Jacqueline Bissette and then calls her husband and is like, we're in love. Let her go free. <laughs> like, yeah. What the fuck, man? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. 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 He, 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 I love that scene. He's like, I slept with her. We're in love. I set her free. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then immediately just everything goes to turmoil. And, and then he, uh, he, he runs away from the set and he goes to ride fucking go-karts. <laughs> yes. And that, that immediately made me think of Breaking Bad. Yep. Like, yep. And I know that wasn't an accident. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Vin, yeah. Vince Gilligan definitely is a, a fan of a fan of the arts, a fan of cinema and lets that shit shine through his through his show Breaking Bad. Yeah. When he's like, you know, hey, I got this job offer in Japan. Do you think I should take it? It's 13,000 miles away from my problems. I think I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that, dude. The, such an actor. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. I got to keep moving. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was great. Great in this movie. But there's still, there's a few other people that, that, that are competing for this award, you know, for the PSH. They, it's a great cast. There's no real weak link for me. No, it all works. It all works. And I'm, I think that's because Truffaut just knew what he was doing on all facets. This guy was a, the right kind of control freak. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I really like Jacqueline Bissett as Julie Baker. I thought she was great. I liked Alexander Stewart as Stacy, the pregnant actress. She was great. Uh, Jean-Pierre Amont as Alexandra was amazing. Uh, everybody, everybody did a great job. Oh, yeah. Um, so that take us, takes us to the Deacons. Here we go. The Deacons. This is tough. What do you got? I picked this because it reminded me so much of Whiplash. And it is the scene where Severine cannot fucking get it right. She's just constantly like flubbing her lines, opening the wrong door, and then getting super upset. Like, they're all looking at me. It's not my fault. Shit's going wrong right now. And for Ron, the whole time, is like, it's all right. We'll get it right. We'll do, we'll do it tomorrow. Like, 
you know, everyone get off the set. We don't need everybody right now. Just handling it like a pro. And she just keeps flubbing it and getting more agitated about it. And just, it never really, it never blows up because that's not the kind of filmmaker he is. But it just felt like everyone was super tense. Everyone was pissed. Everyone was just like, God damn it, lady, figure your shit out. And it just, it reminded me of Whiplash when he's just, you know, not my tempo, just a little bit right there. This could have gone either way, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love this scene. I love where they, she says, well, I need cue cards, you know? So they put them up on different areas of the set. I love, I love the door opening the the wrong door like five times in a row. And she's like, Oh, I can't get it. And it's just, uh, is playing drunk so well, you know, this is, if she would have won the Oscar, because she was the only one nominated for a performance, if she would have won, that's the clip they would have played on the montage. You know, that's the, that's the clip. It, she just, just does something. She, I think it's at the right time in the film too, where you need something to kind of really, really pull you into why should I care about this particular movie about this production? And she's the one, she's the one who does, who does that heavy lifting. You know, you've been acting very peculiar, Alexandra. You know, <laughs> all, that, all of that stuff is really, really good. And that's a great pick, man. Great pick. I, I definitely thought about it. But my, I couldn't, I couldn't escape that, that homage. That, he kept paying homage to filmmakers of the past. I couldn't escape those scenes specifically. And there's a few times where it cuts to him while he's trying to sleep. Francois and you know the he's laying on the bed and he's kind of tossing and turning and my 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 deacons goes to one of those moments when he's tossing and turning and you can see the lights that say cinema 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 like all over the place and then it cuts back to when he's a kid and it's black and white and he's he's running to to the theater and he steals all those citizen cane prints i <laughs> I paused it and I was just had, I had fucking chills. I was like, that's me. I can't handle this. I would totally steal something, even though that's not right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be honest. I've, 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 I've stolen stuff before that, that something that was passionate to me, including things that I've had to deal with film at this point in my life. I'm a little too old for that. And I, I, I realize now when you pay money towards something, it's probably going to go to that cost. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I very much, had had you know sticky fingers and i understand what what he's saying in that scene where it all starts somewhere this passion this wild passion all all starts somewhere and for him it was it was these classics you know it was it was something as huge and as classic as 1941 citizen kane which is a film of course you know we love on this show we covered a long time ago and it just was a really really special and kind of cute moment but also filmed really well when he's running up to the theater and he has the little, the little cane that he's using to pull the board in. And then he steals every single print. It's like 20 citizen cane prints. And the way the camera cuts to him, stacking them on top of each other, stack, stack, stack. And we see Charles Foster Kane over and over, over and over, over and over. And it's hitting home that this movie is very important to him. It means a lot to him. And I, I, you know, I just, I just see myself in that. And I think ultimately Francois is doing that with day for night, whatever scene it is at some point, he's trying to speak to the cinephile in you. He's trying his hardest to reach, reach your heart. And I, 
I love that. I almost started crying. I was like, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> I just can't, my, my, my body, my heart was moving. I had goosebumps and I was like, I love this movie <laughs> and I can't, I can't wait to watch it again. You know, I'm so glad I own it. It's awesome. But there's, there's a lot of scenes. I thought, I thought the last scene was, was amazing where everybody goes away and the camera pans up over, you know, like kind of a bird's eye view. Great cinematography, really, really good direction. I thought some of the stuff when they're actually filming, like the, the little kitten scene, I thought that was genius when they have the one kitten that doesn't quite cooperate. And he's like, you should have got two cats. <laughs> I swear, I didn't feed it for three days. <laughs> you know, I loved all that stuff. I thought it was, I thought it was incredibly entertaining. And this movie's a nine out of 10 for me. I love it. It's an eight for me. Um, I knew you were going to pick that, the Citizen Kane bit. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, that's Austin's pick. Yeah, yeah, so cool, so cool, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, it's it's incredibly liberating and uh, satisfying when you find out that these guys aren't, you know, legends on a pedestal. They're people who saw, you know, Citizen Kane and were like, "I want to do shit like that," and then they did, and that is freeing. It makes me think like I could do something like that. You know, if Francois Truffaut is just a film buff and I'm just a film buff, maybe I can make something too. And it's a great feeling to have. Yeah, yeah, that obsession. Like, that obsession can go somewhere, and that obsession can turn into something, and that obsession is important because it's yours. Like that, I love that. I love that he's... I love that he. Do, you don't have to really think too hard about this movie. Like, it's, it's telling you what it's trying to say. And... If, if you really, I, I truly believe if you really love movies and it's history, like you have to see this movie. You have to. Yeah, I'm so happy. I don't have to, like, I don't have a language barrier problem. I'm so happy. I don't have a problem with subtitles or black and white movies that I can just turn anything on and be let and just try to enjoy it. It's, I, I feel bad for people who have that problem. Oh yeah. Sad. It's really, really, really fucking sad. Um, yeah. Cause if, if you do have a problem, then you know, we're, we're doing a really old movie next week. And if you have that problem, you should really probably hit the fucking road. You know, <laughs> this movie's, you know, from 1948. Uh, before we get to that on Monday, tomorrow, uh, really, really excited for this episode where Connor and Caleb will be talking about their most anticipated movies of 2022. So, you know, hopefully going into 2022 there's less pushback and less different you know different dates you can kind of pinpoint this is what i want to see in the year and let's talk about it so are y'all both doing 10 or are y'all doing five and five we're uh for this one we're doing 10 we're going to be doing something similar the following week where we'll probably just do five but right now it's going to be our 10 personal most anticipated films of 2022 it's a lot more narrowed down because there's no runoff from last year not a lot anyway uh last year was super like overstuffed in terms of release um a lot calmer this year and since nothing's really coming out in january besides scream um we figured we'd have some fun for the rest of the month there you go that's awesome i'm excited i'm excited to listen to that and kind of see what's on y'all's on y'all's radar uh and then on wednesday uh film guys will be doing starship troopers uh that's i know that's something very special to you yeah this is my pick on the cycle uh way we do it i don't if you listen to this show i just assume you listen to all of them but that, that might not be true um, on Filmgasm, we do a cycle. Uh, all 14 members pick one movie per cycle, and then the fifth is up to our book of Filmgasm, which is just a list of random episodes. 
So this week is my pick, Starship Troopers. Very excited. One of my all-time favorites. A insanely ridiculous, over-the-top epic. And uh, it's going to be very fun. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Very cool. And then uh, the just the fourth episode of Beyond the Bad's Existence. Very excited for this one. Yeah, Sean William Scott and Jessica Simpson. Yeah, going to be great. The Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Caleb uh, is in charge of that show. Friday's Beyond the Bad. And um, his selection has been just like a wide variety of the worst films in history. And um, I believe he chose this to coincide with the new Jackass movie, uh, you know, because Johnny Knoxville stars in this as one of the Duke boys. Uh, yeah. And this film was eviscerated upon release, as is every other movie we cover on this show. So I'm excited to watch this piece of shit and mock it for an hour and a half. Hell yeah, man. That's going to be cool. Yeah. A film from a different time. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, then and then finally, next week on this show on Oscar Sunday, 1948, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, that'll be on January 30th. My birthday's on the 31st. So this is my personal pick for Oscar Sunday. I pick all of them, but, you know, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to do something that's, uh, that we've talked about on the show plenty of times that clearly speaks to both of us and um, a movie that rattled me rattled me hard the first time I saw it way back when we did episode I want to say 16 15 or 16 uh of this of this podcast on Hamlet from 1948 which won best picture it beat treasure of the Sierra Madre and I just I just think that's absolutely bonkers and it's an absolute classic and a movie that's influenced so much of what I what we love really what we all love here at Filmgasm. So I'm, I'm very, very excited. But, uh, you know, thanks for being with us here today. I had a lot of fun. It's fun to do these foreign films that we haven't really seen, that we can kind of just get a whole new perspective. And I think that's what we got today, uh, talking about Truffaut. I think we found a filmmaker that we both want to, you know, start studying more. And that's exciting. It's really exciting. So thanks for being with us. Hopefully you are following us on um, Instagram, Twitter, at Filmgasm. You can even check us out on F Facebook. We upload all of our, you know, reviews, podcasts on there. So, you know, if you feel like it, you know, get on the socials. That's what everybody does these days. So get on it, get on it at Filmgasm. Uh, without further ado, signing off, Austin Johnson. We'll see you guys later.